0: If you have a Bible with you this morning, would you turn with me, please, to the first epistle of Peter, 1 Peter, and chapter 2 for our scripture reading. It's a lengthy reading, but we'll read the whole chapter, and then I want later on to draw your attention to some verses at the end of the chapter. 1 Peter, and chapter 2, commencing to read at verse 1. The Word of God says, Wherefore laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. If so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming is unto a living stone, disallowed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same as me at the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvellous light, which in time past were not a people, but now the people but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you, as strangers and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the King as supreme, or unto governors, as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of the foolish men, and as free, and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the King. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults ye shall take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were ye called because Christ also suffered for us Leaving us an example that ye should follow in his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again, when he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bare our sins, and his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Amen. May God bless to us the public reading of his uninspired and his infallible word. Now we're turning again to the first epistle of Peter and to First Peter in chapter 2. And I want to draw your attention to some verses toward the end of that passage of Scripture. It's a wonderful passage of Scripture from First Peter. And as far as I am concerned, it was the, the passage of Scripture uh, that Dr. Paisley preached on the night I was saved way back in 1965. And uh, I can't remember very much about what he said about this whole passage of Scripture, but I remember that he did quote a verse from the book of Genesis. And it was a verse that said, my spirit shall not always strive with man. And it was that verse that really spoke to me that night away back in February in 1965. That's a long, long time ago. And uh, uh, the years have gone on, but God's salvation is a great thing. And the wee woman said, it's better felt than telt. And Dr. Paisley used to say, it's like the soles of your feet, it wears well. And so it wears well, and it's good to be saved. But in this passage of Scripture, you'll notice there that the Apostle Peter says in the first chapter in verse 1, he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And as he writes to the people of God, he speaks about their circumstances and how there was a dispersion and God's people were separated and sent across to all parts of the then known world. And thank God, those who were redeemed by precious blood, they went everywhere preaching the word of God. Uh, And he he encourages them in verse 2 there. He says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto the obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. And he talks about how they are chosen in Christ. And what a wonderful blessing, what a wonderful privilege that is. And as he goes on in this epistle, he speaks about Christian conduct and our conversation and how we ought to live before God. And even as he says about God's people who were separated and who were spread out all over the world, and he talks about how they ought to be in submission in this chapter that we read in verse 13, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the King is supreme. And he says it's because of your testimony And because of your love for me and the love for the Lord Jesus Christ, we have to live circumspectly in this world. And how Peter encourages God's people, he says there are those, and you're buffeted because you're a Christian. And you suffer because you're a Christian. And you suffer for Christ's sake in this world. This world is not a friend of grace to help men and women unto God, and Peter says, if you suffer because you are a Christian, you are indeed blessed, for he says it there in verse 20, for what glory is it? If when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently, but when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. And then the verses that I want to leave with you, verse 21 through to the end of the chapter. He says, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example. And Peter is writing to God's people. He says that in this world, as Jesus said, you will have tribulation. There's trials. There's persecution. There's hardships. There's difficulties. There's problems. There's all these things. But in this world, as we have tribulation, we are called upon as Christians to suffer for Christ's sake and to be patient and to look to the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's some beautiful text, of course, throughout that passage of Scripture. I love that verse there. uh, In verse 7 of this chapter, it says, Unto you, therefore, which believe He is precious. Is the Lord Jesus Christ precious to you today as we meet together in his house? Thank God for each one redeemed by precious blood. And we can say, Jesus Christ is precious to me for he is my savior and he is my friend. I remember those words as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye might grow Thereby, How we, we feast upon the milk of the Word of God, and then in the will of God we progress to the strong meat of the Word of God. And it's good to grow in grace. And Peter talks about the mercy of God and the grace of God. And there in verse 9 he says, Ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Isn't it good today that we have been called out of the darkness of this world and we have been translated by the power of God into the kingdom of light. And we who were not a people have been made the people of God, in verse 10, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God. But he says in verse 11, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. I used to sing an old gospel hymn, I'm just a pilgrim in this strange city, but someday soon I'll be going home. We are strangers and pilgrims. We are in this world, but we're not off the world, but we are traveling through this world and we look for a city whose builder and maker is God. Peter speaks about it there in chapter 1. He says in verse 4, we are heading for an inheritance that's incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. But as Peter teaches us that we ought to live a godly life, that we ought to be holy as the Lord is holy, and that we ought to submit ourselves unto the ordinances of men, that we ought to live for Christ and and be an example for him. Thank God he, he points us here to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to think with you just for a moment or two about Peter's pen portrait of the Lord Jesus Christ. The wonderful things that Peter tells us about our Savior. Things that are, even as it were, right on the very top, as it were, so simply to be found in these verses. But sometimes we forget them, for we're only human. Uh, I used to say in Belfast, you'd forget your head if it wasn't screwed on. And sometimes as God's people, we forget even the very basic things. Christ is precious to us, we have a wonderful standing in Him. We're a chosen generation. But we're strangers in this world. And yet we're saints of God in this world. But here's the Savior's example. And the Bible says here in verse 21, at the end of the verse, that ye should follow His steps. And I want to think with you just for a minute or two, first of all, about the steps of the Savior. Peter saying, We suffer for our faith. And how many have suffered? And oftentimes in this part of the world, thank God, we have civil and religious liberty. We can meet together. We can worship. We can read the Word of God. But there are brethren and sisters today in many parts of the world who have suffered great persecution and who would meet together under fear, and fear of imprisonment, uh, under threat, fear even of martyrdom. But the lines have fallen onto us in many ways in pleasant places. That's why the church needs to be vocal and needs to speak up and stand up for the things of God in these days. But Peter says, follow his steps. And I was thinking about that just for a moment or two. And I was thinking, you know... uh, When people go to the land of Israel, it's a wonderful privilege if you ever have the privilege of going to the land of Israel. And many of the tours are advertised as you can walk where Jesus walked. You can go through the streets of Bethlehem. You can walk in the streets of Jerusalem. You can go down by the seashore at Galilee. You can go to the mount where he, he, he taught the Sermon on the Mount. You can Go to the Mount of Olivet. You can go and see these things. You can see the River Jordan. People have been baptized in the River Jordan. I knew some people who went and they had been baptized, but you know, because they were in Israel, they thought they would get baptized again. Uh, I don't know whether that was a good thing or not, but that's what they did. But you know, if we were to walk, you can walk literally where Jesus walked. But think today how Jesus walked The steps he took. The step from honor and glory and majesty in heaven itself. As the old hymn says, he stepped out of the ivory palaces and he came into this world of woe. And in this world, he stepped down the step of humiliation. And the very fact that he took upon himself a body like unto our body, and that he was found and fashioned as a man, he humbled himself, and he became obedient even unto death, and he died the death of the cross. And we think of the the honor that he had with the Father and the Spirit and the myriads of the uh, cherubim and seraphim, the angelic beings who worshipped him, who cried, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And yet he left it all and he came into the world and in his humiliation he took on the hardship. Humanity. And he endured the hostility of the men and women of this world against him and he went all the way to the cross and the steps of the lord jesus christ took him outside he was outside in his birth for the bible says there was no room for him in the end in the book of revelation in revelation 3 and 20 you remember the Bible says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and will sup with him and he with me. He was outside even of his church. He was outside when every man went to his own house. Jesus could say the birds have nests, the foxes have holes. But the son of man hath not anywhere to lay his head he was the christ of the outside place his steps took him outside his steps took him down by the riverside remember that day we read about it in matthew's gospel chapter 3 uh, verse 13 there through to 17 we read about how he came down to the river jordan and there at the river jordan he was baptized of john in the jordan Thank God at the Jordan, uh, the Spirit of God descended upon him in the form of a dove, and God the Father's voice was heard saying, This is my beloved Son. And the steps of Christ that brought him from heaven and glory and brought him into this world, and he was outside and he went down by the riverside. Thank God he went by the wayside. There's an old book many years ago it was called The Christ. Off the human road. And as he was born of the virgin. And he took upon himself a body. And he lived in this earth. In this scene of time. He knew what it was to be hungry. And thirsty. And weary. Knew what it was to be persecuted. To be mocked. To be laughed at. To be scorned. The old hymn says. There's not a throb nor throw." that your heart or my heart can know. But Jesus feels it above. He went by the wayside. He talked to men and women. He went to Jairus' house. He, he raised up that little girl from the dead. He went by the wayside. He opened the eyes of the blind. He caused the lame to, to leap and to jump with joy. He could raise the dead to life. He went to the grave site. He said, Lazarus, Forth. And so many Bible commentators have said, if the Lord Jesus Christ had not specified Lazarus come forth, all the dead would have come forth, because he is God. He said, Lazarus come forth, and he who was dead, and he was ready dead four days, and he was laid in the tomb. He came forth. And Christ was on the hillside. You mentioned that hillside there where he taught the great sermon on the Mount. We think of the hillside of Calvary where he suffered and bled and died. We think of the hillside on Mount Olivet where uh, the angels were there in Acts chapter 1 and verse 9 and they said that this same Jesus who ascended on a cloud received him out of their sight. This same Jesus shall come again in like manner as ye have seen him go. So when you think about the steps of the Saviour, it's a mystery for us how he could come into the world and he's very God of very God, and yet he was bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh. He's a son of God and he's a son of man. And Peter says here that ye should follow his steps but I want you to notice not only the steps of Christ, but I want you to notice the sinlessness of Christ. It says there in verse 22, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Many in this world today say, well, you suffer because you do something wrong. Many talk about Karma. When he said, Well, this happens because you did something wrong. But you remember there was a blind man, and the disciples said to the Lord Jesus, Who did sin? Was it this man, or was it his parents that he should be born blind? Jesus said, It's nothing to do with that. But that the works of God should be glorified in him. And the Bible says here, He did no sin. That's why in Matthew 1 and 22 and 23, we're told that a virgin would conceive and she would bear a son, and Joseph was told to call his name Jesus. He's the sinless, spotless Lamb. He's the only man who ever walked this scene of time who did not sin. He's the sinless, crimeless, faultless, flawless, the unique. And because he is the sinless Christ, the Bible reminds us there in the epistle to the Hebrews in chapter 7 and verse 25, it says, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. He knew no sin. There was no sin in him. And the one who was sinless and the one who was born of the virgin had an impeccable life. Sometimes people say, well, you know, uh, and I've heard people profess, since I got saved, I've never done anything wrong or have never sinned. And I'm tempted to do what Mr. Spurgeon did. A man came to him one day and Mr. Spurgeon invited him home for his, his lunch. And he says, you know, Mr. Spurgeon, I have never sinned. I was saved 40 years ago and I've never sinned. Mr. Spurgeon says, that's interesting. Come home with me. And then Mr. Spurgeon accidentally on purpose spilt the soup over him. And he jumped up and he said a few words that he shouldn't have said. Mr. Spurgeon said, well, you broke it today. You've sinned today. We're only sinners, but there's only one who never sinned. Even Satan had nothing on Christ. Jesus says that the, the God of this world he can come, but he can find nothing in me, John 14 and30. Pilate, he says he was convinced. He was convinced of the, the sinlessness of Christ, the innocence of the sin. He knew for envy they had betrayed. Pilate's wife said, "I have suffered many things in the dream today because of this just man. The dying thief could say, in Luke 23 and 11, the dying thief could say, this man has done nothing amiss. The old centurion who took charge of the the death of Christ at Calvary, when he heard the word of the Savior, and he seen the things that were happening, he said, truly, this was the Son of God. He never said anything that was wrong. He never thought anything that was wrong. He never did anything that was wrong, and yet he suffered. But he suffered for our sins that he might bring us to God. And the Bible speaks here. Peter talks about the steps of the Savior. And then he speaks about the sinlessness of the Savior. You notice he speaks about the sufferings of the Savior. In verse 21, For even hereunto ye were called, because Christ also suffered for us. Christ also suffered for us. And then in verse 23, Who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. We could never fully grasp the sufferings of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, we may have some idea of the physical sufferings, and we recall our way back in the the Book of Psalms prophetically, and that Messianic Psalm, Psalm twenty-two, opens with the words, "My God, My God, why hast Thou forsaken me?" It finishes with the words that it is done, or it is finished, that it is accomplished. Two of the sayings of Christ on the cross. In that prophetic psalm we are told that the, 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 the bulls of Bashan have encompassed me round about. They, they, he talks about his hands and, and his feet being pierced. And that was years and years and years, centuries, before the cruel death of crucifixion was uh, invented as, as, as a torturous way to end a prisoner's life. And in the book of Lamentations, the Lamentations of Jeremiah the prophet, in Lamentations chapter 1 and in verse 12, prophetically, speaking of Christ, it says, Is it nothing to you, all ye that pass by, behold and see if there be any sorrow like unto my sorrow which is done unto me wherewith the Lord hath afflicted me, in the day of his fierce anger. He talks about treading the winepress of God's wrath. If we were to think about the physical sufferings what it meant for the Lord Jesus Christ to be beaten, what it meant for them to pluck the very hairs of his face, what it meant for them to torture him, to whip him, until the Bible says this, his, his back was a, 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 as a ploughed field. What it was for them to strip him naked and to place on his head a crown of thorns. What it meant for him to be mocked and scoffed and then kneeled to the cross. And we think about the anguish and the agony and the pain and the suffering. And so many times we have. Heard and read sermons about the physical sufferings of Christ. And we think about the mental sufferings of Christ. That the Son of God who came into the world to save sinners, they mocked him. They brought their false accusations against him. He knew they were false. They gave him a a robe. And they said, you're a a king, you have to have a robe. They gave him a crown of thorns. They gave him a reed in his hand. They said, a king must have a scepter. And they mocked him and they buffeted him and they blindfolded him and they smote him and they said, tell us which one hit you. They played what was called the game of kings. And oh, the terrible mental agonies that must be. It's an awful thing if you know that you are in the right but you're being persecuted as if you were a wrongdoer. It's very hard to take. Very hard to stay calm. You think of how our saviour was betrayed. He says, my own familiar friend lifted up his heel against me. Think of how he was Denied even by Peter who wrote this lovely epistle that we're reading from this morning. Think of the shame. And yet he's the innocent, the sinless Christ. And when we think about the physical sufferings that he endured and the mental sufferings that came to him, we think about the judicial sufferings. See, over there in the second epistle of Paul to the Corinthians, those words that are so familiar to us in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5 and verse 21 the Bible says for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him the Bible says the Lord Jesus Christ suffered the judicial wrath of God upon sin when he died upon the cross of Calvary. The Lord Jesus Christ endured the judicial wrath of God when he died for our sins. In other words, all our sins. and We might categorize sin we might talk about lying or cheating or swearing or drinking or drugs or immorality and we could go on and make a whole list we might think of some of the terrible great sinners of history who have condemned men and put millions to death we can think of terrible things and immorality and vile things but the Lord Jesus Christ, who was innocent and sinless, he took upon himself our sins, Peter says, and his own body to the tree. God hath made him to be sin, the one who knew no sin. And it was for a reason that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And when the Lord Jesus Christ was suffering there, those physical, mental sufferings, and then when he was nailed to that cross and then he took our sins, when God shrouded Calvary in blackness and darkness and God had to turn away and hide his face for God is of purer eyes and to behold iniquity. And his son, the darling of his bosom, the apple of his eye, was made sin for us. God had to turn away. And Christ said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was made sin for us, the one who knew no sin, that we in turn might be made the righteousness of God in Him. And the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 52, As many, in verse 14, as were astonished at thee, his visage was so marked more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. And the great Bible, scholars in the Hebrew, scholars say that he was beaten and buffeted so much that his lovely face was unrecognizable as a son of Mahan. The old hymn says, How greatly Jesus must have loved me. How greatly Jesus must have loved me to bear So when Peter writes this pen picture, this pen portrait of the Lord Jesus Christ, he reminds us of the steps of the Savior. He reminds us of the sinlessness of the Savior. He speaks about the the sufferings of the Savior. And he speaks here too about the silence of the Savior. Verse 23, when he was reviled, revile not again. He suffered, he threatened not, committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Oh, this is the age when everybody has to have a voice. Everybody has to have their rights. Everybody has to have their opinion made known. But when the sinless, innocent Son of God was accused, and Pilate, and Herod, they tried him. They, they, they marveled that they. Do you not hear those who witness against you, the false accusations, when he was reviled, reviled, not again? That's why Isaiah said in Isaiah 53 and verse 5 through to verse 7 that the Lord Jesus Christ, he was like the lamb, the sheep before her shearers was dumb. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is broad as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb. So he openeth not his mouth. All the mockery, all the hatred, all the false accusations, he remained silent because of his voluntary submission to the will of God. This lovely old gospel hymn, used to sing it round the meetings years ago. He could have called 10,000 angels. Scripture says he could have called 12 legions, 12,000 legion of angels to the world to set him free. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he died alone for you and me. He could have called 10,000 angels. He could have spoken one word. And those who persecuted him, those who crucified him, would have been banished into the blackness of darkness of hell for all eternity. But there would have been no salvation for you or me or for anyone else. Voluntarily, he opened not his mouth. He could have spoken a word, but he had come to die. He'd come to do the will of the Father and to purchase for us eternal redemption. And Peter goes on there and he speaks not only about his sufferings and his silence, but he speaks about his sacrifice. Again, those words that we were thinking of earlier, he was made sin for us. Verse 21 says, For even here ye were called, because Christ also suffered for us. He was our substitute. His death was substitution. The world looks upon his death. The world says it was just the death of a good man. Other people say it was the death of a martyr. Other people say it was the death of a revolutionary. But it was the death of a substitute. Death of a substitute. And the Lord Jesus Christ was our substitute. And when he was dying, he died vicariously in our room and in our place. And we can rejoice today that not only did he die vicariously, but he died victoriously. And he took our sins on his body on the tree. He bore them all away. And the Bible says he was raised again on the third day for our justification. There is victory because Christ has risen again. But you know, it was vital. And it's vital today that we are in Christ There's only one way of salvation. It's not the church. It's not baptism. It's not good works or sitting. It's not all these things. They may be good in their place. But there's only one way of salvation. And that is when a man or woman is in a vital and an eternal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's necessary that we come to him and are saved. Peter speaks about the sacrifice. And just as we close, you'll notice there he speaks about the salvation of the Savior. In verse uh, 24, he says, again, speaking about that vicarious death, that substitution me did, who his own self bare our sins and his own body in the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray. Isn't that the picture Isaiah painted? And Isaiah 53 in verse 6, All we like sheep had gone astray. We had turned every one to his own way, but the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. But he says, Now I are returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. We were sheep going astray. We're like the lost sheep there in Luke's gospel, chapter 15, verses 3 to 7. The man had a hundred sheep, And he lost one of them. He left the 99 in the wilderness and he went after the one that was lost until he found it. The Lord Jesus Christ, when we had gone astray, he says, I have come, uh, the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. And you know, Peter, who penned these words, he says in verse 1 of chapter 5 of this epistle, he says, To the elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. And then he goes on to say, verse 4 of chapter 5, And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Peter says, I witnessed the sufferings of Christ upon the cross. Oh, if ever a man could, could uh, relate to salvation uh, 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 and Peter had fallen and he had been so graciously restored by the Lord. That's why he could say there in chapter 5 and verse 5, God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Peter who denied the Savior, he went out and he repented with bitter tears. He says, I was an eyewitness. And he says he has called us out of darkness into light. And we are returned to the shepherd and the bishop of our souls. This Bible says the Lord Jesus Christ is the good shepherd who giveth his life for the sheep. We have read here he is the chief shepherd and the bishop of our souls. The Bible says he is the great shepherd. But David the psalmist says the Lord is my shepherd just as we bring our meeting to a close, can I say, can you say that with David? Can you say, yes, Fred, the Lord is my shepherd, the one who sought us, the one who suffered for us, the one who seeks us today. And he says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, for I will give you rest. I can say today, the Lord is My shepherd, can you hear?